This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Offense podcast. This is Chris List, the host of it, and uh, I'm really happy to bring in uh, one of my good buddies in the industry, Scott Pianowski, because I would always be happy to have him on, but uh, especially because it's just been uh, somehow you and I, Scott, went back and forth on the XM show on Thursday uh, about, you know, basically you were like, why did you take Andrew Luck at the end of the second round of my uh, beat Chris List NFFC draft? And it just kind of launched this whole discussion that I guess people got something out of. And then it just on Twitter just now, before we scheduled this podcast, it was like 10 different people weighing in on this. So I'm going to let you start. Um, what's your view? You think that's a mistake in a uh, – It's there's three receivers and a flex. It's PPR, all of which hurt the quarterback. Um, but it is six points per passing touchdown. It's a 12-team league. And I took luck with the 23rd pick, the last pick of the second round. Uh, do you think that's a mistake? And if so, why? Yeah, I definitely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, I definitely think it's a mistake for a very simple reason. Quarterback scoring goes down gradually to the point that you can get a good quarterback if you address it at any point in the draft or even if you just wait till free agency. And because most teams, once they get solidified with a quarterback, just don't address the position with backups and they don't care about free agents, the person who gets Aaron Rodgers is so concerned about filling his receivers and running backs that he's not going to battle you for a free agent quarterback. And unlikely anyway, I know every league is different, but I just feel like quarterback is the easiest of the four major positions to do on a budget because the league has set it up. There's so many good ones. Now I'm just in a, in a draft right now. And again, an example of one, but I took Drew Brees in the seventh round. I think the pick before him was Trey Mason. Like you imagine somebody calling in and say, hey, seventh round, I can keep Trey Mason or, or Drew Brees. I mean, it, it doesn't even make any sense. Why, why wouldn't you want to go cheap on quarterback when there are so many good ones? And I don't think the edge of, of getting an elite quarterback early is, is really that big of a deal. 
Okay, so let's talk about that because I think there's two things, right? There's what do you think Luck or Rodgers, who are really the two QBs that are even even consideration of going in the second round, um, uh, what do you think they're going to do? That's one point. You know, does, is Luck really going to get 38 touchdowns and 4,700 passing yards and 300 rushing yards and three or four more rushing touchdowns? So what do you think his projections are? Let's just set that aside because I think we can disagree on particular players. And just in terms of draft strategy, just say, let's say you had Luck's numbers from last year. Just make it simple so we're not arguing about what we think of Luck. And the point is, at what point are those is, – is the value gained between Luck's last year, which was a monster year for a quarterback – over, say, Matt Ryan or Breeze, whatever he's projected for this year, or Romo or whoever else, solid, very reliable producers. At what point is that worth it to you? I mean, obviously, there's some point in the draft that you're going to take luck. Where is that point? Well, we, we do have one way to measure this. I, I know you're not completely sold on it being viable, but it's a thing called value-based drafting where every player gets a score of, of what his difference is between his production and the baseline player's production. And last year, Luck having, which I think is an excellent chance to go down as his best season ever, he ends up coming in 14th in VBD. He wasn't even the best quarterback. Actually, Aaron Rodgers was, or I'm sorry, he was equal to Aaron Rodgers, I guess. So, Yeah, I, again, I don't care if it's Luck or Rodgers, whoever your flavor of the day is or who you think. I'm just saying, what are the value of those stats? That's, that's what I'm asking. I, I, a monstrous year still didn't make him one of the top 12 players in VBD, and that's going completely on hindsight I mean, that kind of part of my point I, and also with luck season i mean so much of it was driven by all those flips to the tight ends his two tight ends caught 16 touchdowns and through a couple to uh i think offensive line eligible guys and bradshaw caught six i know he's added andre johnson which i think is a plus and andre and uh and frank gore but I, I dare luck to have the same season he had last year. I mean, the defense was bad. He had a career high in passing attempts. Okay. He's still r- running pretty aggressively. I, I want to set that aside, though. I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like we can debate what luck's actually going to do this year. But I, I'm sort of taking on first and foremost sort of the weight on quarterback theory, right, which doesn't really depend because we get bogged down and like, well, I think luck's better than you think he is. And then that's just a difference of opinion on his projection, right? And that's just going to, and that's going to drive where we draft him. But I'm just saying you get last year's stats, which I think anybody, even the most, you know, bullish luck guy would have to say, you'd be pretty happy to get last year's stats out sure. of him, right? Not the way it was distributed. Obviously he killed people in the playoffs, but you didn't know that was going to happen. Just, you know, just the totals are what you get, right? I say that's probably a top three or four overall pick. Now he finished 14th because if we knew we could have DeMarco Murray stats, then that would be probably number one, right? Because they then you're banking in 57 catches and dozens, you know, I don't know, 13, 14 touchdowns and, you know, 2,200 yards from scrimmage. But I'm saying not banking everything else. Everything else is in flux, right? We're talking about running backs do what they do. We don't know. We know what their situation is. But if you could just bank one player stats, Lux, that would be a first-round pick. Now, nobody's – I wouldn't advocate for taking him in the first round because I well, do well, think – Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. By VBD, and, and I'm not saying that it's an answer key, but it's one way to measure that. Right. It's saying it's not a first-round pick because no, no, it's no. actually saying Luck was 14th. No, that's not what that's saying. What that's saying is that the, you knew if you had your choice of the top 14 guys' stats from last year, Luck was 14th. I'm saying if you only had your choice of Luck's stats from last year and everybody else is just who they are. In other words, you don't get to choose DeMarco Murray's stats from last year. I would take DeMarco Murray's stats over Luck's. Don't get me wrong. But the thing about running backs is it's very less much. It's very uh, less likely – that a running back will achieve those stats than a quarterback will, right? The running backs live up to their projections less often than quarterbacks do. So, 
Yes, you're absolutely right. If, if we could get everybody's stats from last year, then Luck would probably be about the 14th player picked. Those stats would be the 14th player picked. But I'm saying just for the purposes of where those stats are valued, and we can argue about whether you know how likely he is to actually achieve those stats, I think it's pretty clear that if you could bank Luck's stats from last year, he'd have to be a first-round pick, right? I just want to get this one point. Well, if nobody else is allowed to bank stats yes. from a player, then yes. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And, and obviously that's unfair, and you can't just say, well, why is he banking his stats? And I totally agree with you that if I could bank DeMarco Murray's stats and probably Antonio Brown's and probably six or seven other guys, maybe 13 other guys based on VBD, though it's not precise, I would probably take those guys ahead of him. But so the question is, Luck stats are worth 14th just purely, and that's, you know, I took him late second, but his stats last year were worth early second, okay? Even, you know, in hindsight, okay? But if we could only bank Luck stats, you agree that those are worth a first-round pick, right? Sure, but you can say that about a bunch of players, too. Oh, 100%. But I'm just saying this about Luck, okay? And now I'm going to say, well, my next step is the QB stats are way more bankable than that of other players. Now, we can debate Luck in a second, and, and we will. But... I think that the chance that Luck ends up being a top two quarterback or a top three quarterback is a lot higher than the chance that any running back ends up a top three running back. Would you also concede that? That's probably likely. But the way I frame all this is that I feel so much better about the second tier, third tier, fourth tier quarterbacks than I'll ever feel about those tiers at different positions. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, there's no doubt that in, not only in terms of just pure stats, but bankability. I mean, Matt Ryan around six or seven, Romo around eight or nine is so much more bankable than any other position player in those rounds. It's not even close. Right. I mean, I could get Rashad Jennings and be like, OK, I think he's good for, you know, seven touchdowns and twelve hundred yards, you know, a thousand yards from scrimmage. OK, but that's just so not bankable. Right. I mean, that's. That's speculation. He could do better. He could do worse. But the volatility is going to be bigger, and it's going to be way safer there. So that's on the back end. But I think when we're talking about safety, right, the, the things that's most bankable, I think we want to talk about the top of our draft, right, the, the, the biggest investments we're making. So, you know, you look at the VORP, you know, value over replacement, and it's 14th, which is pretty damn good. And that's including Murray's monster year and Brown's monster year. And I think that of all those players, the QB is most likely to repeat, most likely to be in the neighborhood of his ADP among, you know, I think receivers are number two, and then I think running backs are last. That the running back is the most fragile position, the most likely to get hurt, the most team-dependent. Uh, the quarterback is the least team-dependent. He is the team, pretty much. True. But uh, though that floor, again, exists, exists for all the different tiers. It exists for Manning. It exists for Breeze. It exists for Romo. It exists for whoever, Philip Rivers, whoever you wherever you decide to take a plunge. And again, if for some reason you miss on a quarterback, if you take Rivers and he gets hurt or isn't good, you're going to have a waiver wire which is not contested anywhere near the other positions. You can go and find guys there or you just play matchups. I just feel like if you, if somebody said to me, you have to take one of the four major positions, you cannot draft it on draft day. Your, your computer's going to be broken and you can't literally click on a, on a position. Which one would you punt? I would always punt quarterback because you only need one and because people aren't going to get in your way for the quarterback. And, and I ask people, this happens every year where I have to do the who do I start stuff and people will have two great quarterbacks and I always say, have you tried to trade one? They'll say, yeah, you know, nobody give me a good offer. I keep getting lowballed, so I'm just keeping both of them. I, I know football, in real life football, the quarterback is everything and, and I think that sometimes skews the common player's view of this, that he thinks he has to build a team from the quarterback out. But 
because it's just a simple um, supply and demand thing. Because the supply of quarterbacks is so deep, and, and because teams don't really think they need to in fantasy, generally speaking, I just feel like why should you make it an early priority? I actually think that cuts both ways, though, the fact that it's much easier to uh, to replace a quarterback, right? Because, you know, you, you and the quarterbacks don't really need replacing. It's like if you bust on your second-round running back pick, good luck replacing that, right? That's just you're screwed. But if I'm getting a big 70, you know, say I'm getting 75 points in VORP and value above replacement with my second-round pick, that's not going to bust. Those 75 points are good, right? I mean, that, to me, that's like a big difference. Like, if you, you know, get your running back, I mean, you're, you're kind of screwed if he goes wrong, right? So it's, it's kind of like I'm banking this in. And if you look at the season. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. If my first or second round running back busts, I'm screwed. I see that. But if you don't take a running back in the first or second round, you're screwed in a different way because you have the same need to fill that position as anybody else. What? Tell me this. You took Luck in the second round. I forget how your draft went. What yep. were the other positions? Give me like the first four or five picks you made. So I took first pick was Le'Veon Bell. Second pick was Luck. Third pick was Golden Tate, which I did not like, but I just it was it's third round reversal, so you're picking late in the third, so it's a, it's just an ugly pick. There's nobody I really like. Uh, fourth round was uh, Lamar Miller, who I actually did like, but I wanted to get receivers in a three receiver PPR. That's why I took Tate ahead of him. Fifth round and sixth round, I took Brandon Marshall and Macklin for their targets, and that's kind of how the draft went. I mean, I basically now, threw I, I like there. Miller. I think you'll be fine at running back. You must have the worst receivers in the in, in the league, and what, and probably your weak at tight end, I assume too, because you couldn't have taken one early. Well, I I took Vernon Davis in the eleventh round because I right. like him, but uh, no, I mean, well, if you I look at every team, weaker, if you I'm, had the option to trade all of your wide receivers to any other team or all of your or your all of your collection of tight ends, I don't know if you took two of them or not. I did, yeah. You'd, you'd probably trade with almost every team in the league. Yeah, because you're not going to be strong at every single position, right? I right. Mean, that, right. So I'm saying why not be – again, I, yeah, I punted quarterback in this league. I'm, in, I'm drafting in, and I got Drew Brees. That's my quarterback punt. Why yeah, would you well, want to live got, that way? I mean, Drew, that's and, fine. I mean, and by know, the way, what are Drew Brees' chances of beating Locker Rogers? I mean, twenty percent, thirty percent. It's reasonable. Oh, yeah. He's got a chance. He's certainly got but, a chance. But Trey Mason's Rogers. not going to beat Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Trey Mason's probably not going to beat Le'Veon Bell, but the, you know, Justin Forsett beat almost everybody last year. I mean, you know, Brees is easier, and you also spend a seventh round pick on him. But there's going to be guys who emerge. T.J. Yeldon may beat some of these top running backs. Well, well the other thing, too, with the four sets is when those guys emerge, there's a huge fight for those guys. It's not like they sit there and you, and you go and take them because nobody else wants them. I mean, everybody else is going to be in on that, too. There's no doubt. And I don't claim to have, you know, superpowers to get the, the, new, the next Justin Forsett this year, or the next C.J. Anderson, the moment that he pops up. It's going to be a fight to get extra running backs or receivers. I drafted a lot that I think have upside later in the draft, so some of them hopefully are already on my roster, but there's no guarantee of that. Uh, and that's what I'm going to work on is receivers mostly during the year. That's, you know, if I had done something else, I would have done something differently. But you've got to understand the baseline from which I'm going to be operating. I'm going to be operating from a baseline of having a quarterback in a six-point-per-touchdown league that's getting me 30, 35 points a week. Okay, and if, assuming he gets anywhere close to the last year's stats, and I'm going to have a six, seven point a week advantage over a lot of the guys taking the Romos and the and the and the Ryan's. You know, maybe you know Breeze is old Breeze, and then he should have been taken earlier. But we'll see. They may have transitioned more into a running system, and they may not throw as much. They certainly got rid of a lot of their uh, elite passing game personnel. But either well, way, I, that, could, that's, could, that's convenient to say that for Breeze because you can say that about any. You can 
put a downside to any quarterback. What no, if the defense I, not, is better I'm than Indianapolis? What if Luck loses 50 pass I'm not, attempts? I'm very not plausible. Breeze in round six. I, I just think that, you know, it's like, yes, Breeze is very likely to do well, to do something, right? And Luck is likely and very likely to do really well. The second round running back uh, is worth a lot more than the seventh round running back, but the second round running back is also way more likely to bust than the, the, than the second round quarterback, right? So, it's kind of you're kind of got two things going on, right? Like it, it, on the one hand, um, if Breeze does what Luck does, and there is some decent chance he does, you know, then you're going to be in really good shape, right? But on the other hand, if your second round running back is a bust, then you better hope Breeze does what Luck does because you know you basically got nothing out of that round, right? And I have a very good chance of coming out of that round with something very valuable. And so I look at it kind of like DFS, right? Like each week of the season is a head-to-head matchup. It's not a tournament. You're not trying to get the highest possible points, you're just trying to beat the average basically every week. And if you do that, you'll be, you know, out of 13 games, you'll be whatever, eight and five or whatever you need to be to get into the playoffs. And then, you, you know, let the chips fall once you're in the playoffs. And I think when you play head to head DFS, you're looking for a floor, you're looking for solid, right? And, and I really think that the QB, that's an underrated aspect of it, is that you get an elite QB on paper, it doesn't look good. Here's what I think the experts have a problem with. And, and I, I think that the experts are actually. And you said, like, oh, well, the novice, they, the QBs are the stars. They get, you know, they overvalue the QB in the fantasy game. I think the experts do the opposite, actually. They overvalue checking each box. On paper, it's like, okay, I got Matt Ryan, check, QB. You just said, oh, your receivers are probably really bad. I got a few good receivers because I waited on QB. Check. You check every box, and you feel good on paper. Your team looks good. But then the season starts, right? And the paper doesn't really matter, right? It just matters who's getting above average points every week and builds a winning record and gets in the playoffs. And again, reliability there is huge because if I'm getting seven more points than you at quarterback every week, right, you might be getting seven or ten more points than me at running back at that second running back slot or or third receiver slot or whatever you made up the difference on. But the chances of you doing that are slimmer than the chances of me doing that because I've got the guy who's more reliable. See, I'm not one to concede that you're going to beat me a quarterback every week where I think it's harder for you to beat me with your receivers. I mean, I don't, I don't see that. I mean, Golden Tate had 99 catches last year. This is a PPR league. Like, we're not talking, you know, people are like, well, so Calvin. Tate, everybody would love Tate as a two or a three. The point is he's your one. Somebody has Des Bryant, you lose there. Somebody has Beckham, you lose well, there. Somebody has Julio Jones, right. you lose there. Well, I have, I had Le'Veon Bell in round one, okay? So, I mean, like, don't compare him to round one receivers. Compare him to round two receivers. Even Bell's right? a problem because you're going you're gonna to miss two well, games. Actually, compare him to round three receivers. <laughs> you know, I've got Tate in round three, you know? So, you know, well, whatever. You could critique my draft in general for different reasons. I'm just talking about the principle of taking the quarterback early, which has nothing to do whether I took Le'Veon Bell or Adrian Peterson. That's a whole separate decision. I'll, I'm happy to defend that, too, but that's a separate uh, discussion. But my point is just that, yeah, I mean, Golden Tate versus the other round three receivers, we can debate that. Now, if I had taken a, a round two receiver, it might have been a little bit better at that point. Remember, it was the end of round two, so it would have been like DeAndre Hopkins would have been the receiver, you know. So my draft slot, you also understand the draft slot in third round reversal picking second is pretty rough. You don't get, you get the last pick in round two and three, and so that's also feeding into this. But that really doesn't have any, that doesn't really impact whether taking a quarterback in the end of the second round is a good pick or not. I think it's hard to win any league, and I don't think you should be worried about what the downside is of your early picks. Worry about what the upside is of those players. Oh, come on. Coming from you, Scott, I draft like that. I'm the one who drafts the crazy, risky guy. You love floor in the early rounds. Come on. I love floor in baseball where you have to build foundations. In football, here's the thing. 
in baseball, the weakest owner has no chance because there's just too many data points. The season's too long. It requires too many decisions. In football, the, the world's biggest idiot could just say, oh, I went to LSU, so I'm going to take Odell Beckham. I know he's hurt. I don't care. I'm just going to draft him because he was on my college team. And then maybe they stumble into Forsett or C.J. Anderson. That in and of itself could have driven somebody to a championship with, with just everything else being average. Yeah, no, I look, I don't dispute that point at all, but I don't see how that impacts floor ceiling in, in the early rounds. I personally like to go swing for the fences normally, um, but I think this, if this is just, so strange. This is like Freaky Friday, right? Right. Where no. you're, here you're talking about the floor-driven luck pick. What I'm saying, you should just let your hair be on fire and don't worry about C.J. Anderson having no resume. Take him in the second round. By the way, you didn't pass on C.J. Anderson, did you? I I don't can't remember. I don't think. So, I hope no. not. I don't. You remember who else was there? I did pass on Justin Forsett in PPR. Yeah, I mean he's so old and he's not that big. I I, I can live with passing on Forsett. I think Anderson's a stud. It just took Denver a while to he, figure. He it went out. Early, he went early in the second actually. He probably should have. Yeah. Okay. But but anyway, I mean I would have had to think about it a little bit more. Again, I wasn't wedded to picking luck. All I know is that the, I drafted from the one spot and I really wanted luck at the end of the second round in that draft and I missed him by one pick. Um, and it was one of their Hall of Fame whatever guys who they put in this Hall of Fame slate of guys to draft against me the first time. That wasn't the beat Chris List. That was like Greg Ambrosius's custom hand-picked NFFC like expert league. Um, and I, I lost out on luck by one pick, and I was pissed. And, you know, barring, you know, some great pick falling to me, I was like, I would love to get luck at that spot. And I got him the exact spot the other guy took him. Um, it is six points per passing touchdown, which does make a little bit of a difference. Do you know uh, what receivers you passed on? Um, I passed on, I, I have to pull it up right now, but, um, I could pull it up while we're talking. Who cares? It's a podcast, right? I mean, it's not like I have to bullshit for, you know, was Randall Cobb gone? Uh, yes, he was definitely gone. Uh, Mike uh, Evans was gone. Jeffrey was gone. Let me pull this up right now. Let's I'm see. curious who the receivers and running backs that were available to you at the time. Yeah. Let me pull up this draft board. So, okay, so I took luck. Jeremy Hill was available. I did not take him. It's PPR. I like Hill, but I, in, a, in a standard league, I would have taken Hill, not in a PPR. Um, and then round three is four set. Th- then Rodgers went. Then Brandon Cooks, who I like in a PPR, but I wasn't going to take him over luck. Hilton, Hopkins, Benjamin, Manuel Sanders, Jordan Matthews, Melvin Gordon, Jimmy Graham, and then I took Golden Tate. Hill and Sanders sound good to me. I would have... I would have jumped all over Hill, I think, in that spot. Or, or maybe Sanders. Yeah, I, I like Lamar Miller in round four in a PPR. Me too. And I just felt like the running backs. One of the things that, you know, so I was, it was actually funny in this draft. Then we'll go because we're kind of getting off the, the point, but it's fine. I think we we did the, we delved into the luck thing deeply enough. Um, is that um, I I thought I was, I was drafting second. And, you know, then, and then after I had my draft slot chosen, uh, Bell gets the suspension reduced to two games. And I'm thinking, damn, you know, I, I hate the second slot. I hate the first slot more, but I, in this third round reversal where you don't pick, you, know, you pick the last and second and last in the third, but at least Bell would be my clear number one pick here in PPR. And now the first guy is going to probably take Bell. So I'm even more screwed. And he, and I look on the, on the thing and he, he names his team Le'Veon D's nuts. Okay. So I'm like, okay, he's definitely taking Bell. All right, I'll take Odell Beckham. Maybe I'll go zero running back, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to figure this out. Kind of warmed up to the idea. The draft starts. The guy types into the, into the, into the chat room, a true, poker, a true poker player never shows his hand and takes Beckham first. It just cracked me up because he got the first pick. There's no need to deceive anybody. Like, there's nothing we can do about it, right? It's not like poker where, like, not knowing his hand is going to change anything, right? 
Right, so, or that launched you into a into a forty five minute confusion because right. you just couldn't couldn't deal with a, a player board that has to be two players deep. Exactly. So, but I just cracked up out loud because first of all, I was a little bummed. I was kind of warmed up to the idea. I had sort of like thought it was going to go one way, but then I was like, well, I, if I was picked first, I would have taken Le'Veon Bell without a second thought. So of course I took Le'Veon Bell. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the draft proceeded from there, but, um, but I, you know, I, I think Bell is a no brainer in PPR. I mean, with the games missed, it's a, tw- it's not a 16 team league. I'm going to have, you know, a running back in there to get me eight points or something the first couple of weeks. You know, it's not like I'm getting zeros. I can live with the bell pick. Yeah. Anyway. I, I just, I, I, I'm curious, where do you know when the Mannings and the Breezes and the Roethlisberger's neighborhood, when they went in this draft? Yeah, I'm looking at the board right now. Uh, Roethlisberger went in round five. Uh, Matt Ryan went in round six. Russell Wilson went in round six. Uh, Breeze went in round five. Manning went in round five. So Manning, Breeze, and Roethlisberger went in round five. I, I know I know this is an unfair way to frame it, but yep. the guy who took Russell Wilson, who was his second round pick? Russell Wilson's second, right? And you got to understand, like I'm picking at the end of these. This I understand round. that. Okay. Just just for a loose okay. comparison, Russell Wilson's second round pick was Demarco Murray. Okay, who was your sixth round pick? My six was Brandon Marshall. So it comes again, very loose way of doing this. And I know you'd never have exact knowledge of when guys will right. go, but Luck Marshall um, is, is who you got, and he got Russell Wilson and Demarco Murray. I mean, I, you know, would you trade? Uh, I, I'd much rather have Wilson and Demarco Murray. Yeah, but I'd also much rather be picking eighth in the third round reversal NFFC draft than second. Sure, you know. So I mean, it wasn't like I had I didn't have Demarco Murray wasn't an option. For no, me. it's not a linear comparison because the the difference of the slots in the second round is so much higher. Exactly, I I had a better pick than him in the sixth round because it reverses. So it's I, I'm actually picking early in the even rounds after round four. But yeah, it it, it yeah exactly. And I you know I actually think looking at the boards. Um, that Bell was great, and I, and I do think he's the most valuable player to have in the whole league right now, even with the suspension, because he'd be so the no-brainer first pick in PPR if he were not suspended. It wouldn't even be close. But when I do our projections, he still comes out on top of the running backs. Um, but it really is easier to build the receiver team early because there's so many backs like Lamar Miller and Carlos Hyde, who I don't even really like, and TJ Yeldon and Andre Ellington. And there's just so many starting-ish backs, especially in PPR, like Amir Abdullah, who's going to get receptions at least, you know, in the middle rounds to take. And the receivers, I think, you know, you're stuck with like... Well, wait, 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 what you just said? Yep. That's exactly what I would say for quarterbacks. The exact same no, no, argument. Right. But but that doesn't mean... but and, the, and I would refute it with the exact same argument. I took Bell because he's by far the most valuable guy. I'm just saying it's easier to draft. And I would agree with you both on the quarterback point and the running back point. It's you easier need to draft. running backs and flexes. I mean, you need, you need a bunch of those guys. Right. It's easier to draft the way that you're saying. And I don't doubt that. And I'm not... I'm not hey, I'm an early quarterback guy. I'm going all in. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying... The, the, the whole flaw in this late-round QB stuff is, yes, it's easier to draft that way. Yes, there's a lot of good values on quarterbacks late. Yes, it's really nice to get Tony Romo in round nine and feel comfortable with quarterback while stocking your team with other players. Those things are all true, but those things are not true in a vacuum. Those things have a value. There is actually a value to having Romo in round nine or you know Russell Wilson in round six or Peyton Manning in round five. There's a value to that, and that value must be counterbalanced with the value of, I've got a quarterback who puts up X amount of points in round two. There must be some amount of points projected for that guy that would change the way you draft. It can't just be like, no, I'm just not comfortable drafting like that. It's harder to draft like that. 
again, Luck played at that level for one season. We'll, we'll see if he continues right. to okay. do it. And, and that's valid. And, and I'm not saying you have to take him. I'm just saying the idea that you would never take a QB in the top two rounds because it's easier to draft or it's, you, know, you get these values, that can't be the end of the conversation. It has to be unless the QB puts up X amount of numbers, then the math says take the QB in the second round, right? It's like blackjack. It's like, oh, I don't really want to hit on you know, 16 because I'll bust. Well, the dealer has a 10. You should probably hit on 16. You know, it's, it, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, well, if the dealer has a 5, then you don't want to hit on 16. It's if. Well, if that's, the, a way, that's a little bit different, though. That, that's why? a game where we know the math has been proven out. The simulation's been done, and we actually can, can point to a dis- one decision being better than another decision. It's documented math. This yeah, is no, nothing like that. No, but, but that's why that's an easy example to explain it. It's basically like if you look at a case like that, right, being dogmatic about what to hit on and what to stay on would be foolish, right? Because we know that it's better to, you know, that you hit on 16 in some cases and you stay on 16 in other cases, right? And I'm saying it's the same thing here. You take the QB late second. In some cases, you wait on the QB in, you know, in many cases, perhaps most cases. But I think to just say I wait on QB no matter what is just, it's foolish because what if the QB is a 40 touchdown passing, three or four touchdown rushing, you know, 5,200 combined yard type of guy. I'm not saying luck is necessarily going to be that. I'm just saying, you know, it's in the neighborhood of his projection. You got to tell me when are you going to take him then? Don't just tell me late fourth because to me that's punting on the that you'll never get him late fourth. That's not even addressing the question. That's saying I would only take him so unrealistically cheaply that you know that I basically am not going to take him ever. So tell me that is kind of how I feel. I, I will agree with you that we shouldn't have these hard unbreakable mandates, and you have to be flexible. And drafts go in different directions, and sometimes you just do things that you don't imagine that you might want to do. I mean, I'm all, if there's anybody who's all about being open-minded with a plan and being willing to adjust to the whims of a room or, or how the flow is going, I'm in that camp. I mean, I completely do agree with that. So, okay. So luck is not your guy. I mean, obviously, you, you know, that's a separate issue, right? The first issue is, do you ever take a quarterback there? Second issue is this particular quarterback. You think luck perhaps had his best year. You don't project him for, perhaps as much as I do. I don't, I think you'd have to regret. I just don't think he has a big edge over. I could see Roethlisberger having a monster season. I'd be shocked if Peyton Manning wasn't really good. I mean, Drew Brees came down a lot last year, but he's still indoors with Sean Payton. I don't think the running backs are that great. Pittsburgh's defense, by the way, I think might be horrible. Russell Wilson has run aggressively his entire career. I I think any of these guys guys could beat luck and none of them are going to cost as much as luck. Right. But I think you don't know really which one. Like, like, I, I think like, I would say there's a very good chance that one of, you know, QBs four through eight beats luck or at least comes very close. There's a good chance of that, right? But you don't know which one it is, right? So if you, so if you, if you strike gold with that, it's good. I guess the counterargument, though, is even if they don't come close to beating luck, you're still probably going to get 28 and 4,200. You know what I mean? Like even if they don't have a good year, it's still going to be okay. Exactly. So I don't think you're gaining that much by taking luck over yeah. the, where I think the other positions, just the cliff comes in sooner. Yeah. I, I just think that people don't, they, they look at projections for someone like Jeremy Hill, you know, or CJ Anderson or Justin Forsett. And they say, you know, okay, well look at value above replacement. Here's a bigger difference between, you know, pick two here and pick seven here. And they don't think, yeah, but there's a bigger difference if they achieve their projections. But there's like maybe a 40% chance or, you know, 50% chance that this running back doesn't come close to these projections or whatever the number is. I haven't done the exact math, but the QB, it's like a 
20% chance that he doesn't come close. You know, it's, it's just it's a lot more safe with the QB. So we can't just compare the difference. Mm-hmm. We have to also compare the likelihood that that difference is even something that's real, that's not just something that's projected and imagined. See, I think this is comes into a case of uh, do you want on-base percentage or do you want slugging percentage? Where maybe luck is more likely to get on base in these guys where you're going to actually have a positive at bat. But what is your slugging percentage if you nail a running back in the first or second round? I think I think your winning chances really go up if you happen to click on that pick. So I'm going to try to make that pick. I'm not going to force it. But here's the deal, right? And I always say this, and I'm with you. I'm always like swing for the fences, you know, win the whole damn thing, you know. But it's like in football, it's not really designed like that, right? I mean, the actual practice of fantasy football is week to week, head to head. Now, in a total points league, where like the Stopa League, I'm kind of with you. Like, I think that like... It is a lower upside play to take the QB early. I do think so. I think it's safer and lower upside. But in a head-to-head normal regular league that people are in, right, where, you know, and even the NFBC, like, it doesn't really count to the playoffs. You're scoring. There's, they use your average to start. But I think, like, it's still, like, mostly winning the head-to-head to getting in the playoffs. I guess the points do matter there, too, though. But, you know, in most head-to-head football leagues, I mean, you're, you're not trying to hit a home run, right? You're just trying to be better than that. You're trying to get to eight and five and make the playoffs, right? You're not trying to – it doesn't matter if you have the highest points in the league and lose in the first round. I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, but usually usually if your team scores a lot of points, it, it's probably going to be good week to week too. Those things will usually well, be no, no. in tandem. I, I think the quarterback projects for more points than the running back in this situation. I, I, I'm, I'm saying net points even, not even just, you know, even, you know, VORP points. I think net, the quarterback projects better. I'm saying I agree with you that the running back team has more upside to like, if you were to say, look, you only win if you get more than 1,200 points or whatever number of points is top, you know, 5% in the history of your league. I would take the running back for sure, right? I, I think the upside is higher. But if you were to say, if you get, you know, if it, it takes 800 points to make the playoffs, give me the QB. He's safer, right? He's going he's gonna to make sure you hit that floor, right? Which is like basically what it's about in head-to-head season-long leagues, right? It's like DFS. You're playing a heads-up. You're not playing a tournament. Again, I get what you're saying, but if Jeremy Hill ends up being a monster, I, I'm confident we'll be over several games and not just in two. I mean, the, the outlier example is Doug Martin, his rookie year, where he had a really good year in the cumulative, but a lot of it was centered in, in just a couple of games, and he actually wasn't that great as a week-to-week guy. But I think those guys are in – that type of player is unusual. Usually the player who has the cumulative big stat package was good for you in the majority of weeks. Yeah. No, and I'm not I, – I wasn't saying that – I mean, the running back is more volatile in the QB week to week, but I wasn't even really making that point. I was just saying that, like, the team that goes early QB, if you were just to say, okay, which team's going to have the most points in the year would be a safer team to bet on a floor, right? And the team that loaded up on running backs would be a safer team to bet on the ceiling. But the floor, those running backs get hurt, it's done for that team, right? I mean, that it's just they're just – it's just a way more vulnerable team. It's just funny in baseball. I, I think you're the upside guy. I'm the floor guy, and I yeah. think it's flipped for football. Well, no, so. no, I'm still the upside guy for football. Again, I'm not advocating everyone has to do this. I just feel like the conventional wisdom is you got to wait on QBs in expert leagues. It's ridiculous. You know, the, you have Rodgers and Luck going late third. Some of the guys we were tweeting with said late fourth, and I just think, come on, guys, don't be so dogmatic about it. There is a number. There is a mathematical number where it crosses over. For me, that was late second here. Okay, for you, that might be based on a lower projection for luck or a better projection for breeze or whatever might be mid third or early third. I don't know, but there is a point and you must 
you know, I'll give you that. I'll okay. give you that. You have to be open-minded about this stuff, and there's a price where anything, anything could make sense even against what you think is your established strategy. I will agree with that. And I will concede it is much harder to draft when you take a QB or a tight end early. It's a real pain in the ass to fill these in. But my, my contention is when the season starts, it won't matter. It's just how you feel about your draft and during your draft that it gets tough. And I think that's what's swaying people toward this strategy. It just feels better to take the QB late. It's just easier. Right. Vernon Davis isn't keeping you up at night. You're just like, okay, Vernon Davis, Harbaugh's gone. Hey, He's going to score 10 touchdowns. I not only have Vernon Davis, I have Heath Miller, so don't forget that. Okay? <laughs> oh, man, this, this team, Brandon Marshall, I mean, this yeah. is a way-back well, machine well, team. Well, here's, here's why I took uh, Heath Miller on just before we close. In the NFFC, it's a national contest. There's a grand prize. They draft all the way till you know the Saturday before NFL Sunday, which means oh, right. the team's the drafting Thursday Saturday. Hope, yeah can use the Thursday games how they want, obviously, because they're not even drafting till then. So that means everybody can. So I can actually wait to see what Miller does, right, and then use him or not based on that. And I think that's actually worth something, you know, to have that. I guess. You can wait to see if he has one of his 45-yard, yeah. one-touchdown games. It, I can drop him for another tight end. There's, there's tight ends pretty deep. There's, 20, mm-hmm. there's 28 tight ends or so that could be okay probably. So I'm not too worried about it. Anyway, Scott, I really appreciate your coming on and uh, going over this with me. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, I'd love to have you on again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the podcast. And just so I get a plug in, Salfino and I have started a podcast. We had one this week. It's interminably long, but I hope you listen to it anyway. And uh, where, where, is, sure, where can they get it? Where can they find uh, it? Go to Scott underscore Pianowski or Michael Salfino on Twitter, and uh, we can hook you up that way. And also, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to be talking about this, so if I get electrocuted in the middle of the sentence, you'll know why. But Yahoo Sports is actually going to have a podcast. I'm not sure if it's next week or the week after, but it will be five days a week. It will be about fantasy, mostly about football, and we hope you check that out as well. That was the East Coast Offense Podcast. I'm Chris List. Check out Rotowire at rotowire.com slash radio for a free 10-day trial.